0: This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen.
1: And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind.
2: We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that the show will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities.
0: We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, uh, what, what are you guys drinking right now? I am drinking a beautiful
2: uh, room temperature glass. It's called neat when you it's room temperature whiskey, but I'm drinking a glass of neat Lagavulin. Scotch whiskey, sixteen years old, as made famous by the Nick Offerman playing Ron Swanson on Parks and Recreation. Mm. Hands down, I truly believe it is the best whiskey known to humanity, past, present, and future.
0: Whoa, uh, and future! I yes, excellent.
2: We we have peaked. <laughs> we have peaked with alcoholic beverage here, my friends.
0: Not gonna lie, I don't yes. love whiskey, but Until like only that episode three.
2: <laughs> well <laughs> I'll drink a lot of it as you'll find out
0: <laughs> honestly I that, always have a that bottle like review alone makes me want to try it even though I don't love whiskey okay so next I'll, time, time you're in Billings try with you. oh. next time I'm in Billings uh, I'm currently drinking another can of Thirsty Streets Staycation IPA which if you are in Billings please go buy one pint for me like just drink it there buy it Sport local because it is really delicious beer and it's super, super tasty. It doesn't mm. even taste like an IPA. I feel really pretentious saying it's an IPA, but it's not. It doesn't taste mm. like that. It's like fruity <laughs> and like refreshing and it's a really classic good.
2: summer beverage. An IPA is. Oh, there you go. I can get behind yeah, you on yeah.
1: that.
2: Yeah, What about you, Emily? What are you I drinking?
1: I am drinking yet another glass of homemade iced tea because I love it. It's iced tea. How much so,
0: sugar How much sugar are you putting in your tea? I feel like I don't want to know the answer to this.
2: This is the question everyone wants to know. <laughs>
1: um, so I'm going to use the same answer that my grandmother uses for when she's making her mashed potatoes. For every oh, no. 10 pounds of potatoes you add a pound of butter. So <gasps> just put that into perspective. <laughs> no.
0: Yes. I hate that analogy so joking. much. <laughs> I'm okay. never asking you no, to make okay, me no. a beverage, ever.
1: No, 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 no. Okay, no, in all <laughs> serious. I really don't add a lot of sugar. I really don't. I don't like, like when I buy packaged sweet tea, like in bottles, like either Gold Peak or Pure Leaf, it's okay. But at some point, there's just that weird syrupy taste and it takes away from the actual tea.
2: And so I think mm-hmm. when I
1: made this batch, it was four quarts, and I think I added like maybe
0: a third of a cup, maybe. Okay, oh.
2: this is a little more. Ex- okay, yeah, that's I'm, not gosh.
0: awful, I guess. Potatoes
2: and butter are both so dense, and I <laughs> speaking in terms. of My grandma's of from
1: Missouri, so <laughs> they love their mashed potatoes. Wow. She also grew up in a household of thirteen. Children. She's one of thirteen kids. Okay. Um, yes. And so they had to eat a lot of food. So her analogy growing up was for every ten pounds of potatoes, you add a pound of butter, and that's how she's always done it. Even if there's two people eating dinner, that's how she does it.
0: I'll tell you what. That's a good way to remember okay. a recipe, though. She's got that down for sure.
1: She does. Absolutely.
0: That's good. That's good. Uh, you don't um,
2: even need well, a note card for that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's no fractions. That's all that matters. Just right. one to ten.
2: Yes. It's, it's a ratio. Um,
0: Simple ratio. So to get into it a little bit, um, I, I know we've already kind of talked to you, Emily, about like what, what life is like for you right now. Um, but I'm kind of curious, since we're all from different states currently, what is like the current situation with like church in the midst of COVID because if you're from the future listening to this we're starting this podcast in like the middle of the pandemic this is still the first year that we are required to wear masks so it's like before it got crazy remember those times (laughs) um (laughs) but like where where are you guys at currently with like um churches being open or not open or like digital church or like what's happening what what's going on
1: so, what's interesting is I have to pay mind to what the state is doing. So, I'm currently in the state of Wyoming, um, but I also have to pay attention to what my church conference is doing as far as policies. Um, oh. And what's interesting is our conference is like, oh, don't hold in-person services if you meet such and such criteria, um, which luckily my church does fit that criteria, but they're not coming to church, so we were allowed to open our doors. I don't get that. Don't ask me why. Wait a minute. Um, Wait,
0: no, wait. Explain that a little bit more. I don't... What do you mean, like, your church meets the criteria for not meeting?
1: Right. So, we shouldn't be having in-person services, but because the people that are attending normally, who are above 65 and older...
2: Um, Are
1: staying home, we have less people coming, so we're allowed to have church in person. Otherwise, we wouldn't be because of our max number of congregate Mm. members coming. Um, So because they're all staying home, we're able to have in-person services. But we are also live streaming. So for those who are staying home, for those who are homebound, even those like anyone across... Anyone in the world, actually, could tune in to Cody UMC church services on Sunday. Um, what?
0: But it's so I, well.
1: funny because other churches, like, around the corner, they're open. They're not requiring masks. You can sit wherever you want. They're, like, having cookouts. Huh. My church is not doing that. And we have yet to have any cases in my church. So that's a blessing.
0: Whoa. But
1: the state of Wyoming is just really bizarre. They're, all so, churches are just kind of doing whatever they want.
0: Is Wyoming not under, were, they, you, were you guys ever under like a mandatory, or quote unquote mandatory, like stay at home or mask order or ordinance or anything like that?
1: Yes. And that was in, I believe, May. And I was not here yet at the time. I was still in Chicago. And that is a completely different story.
0: Um, oh, so it's but like, they, like were only,
1: they were only required for that for two weeks.
0: Oh. Wow. Yeah. So like technically the mask mandate or whatever is like not enforced right now in Wyoming. Nope. So well, that's really interesting. So like all of your like church COVID-related stuff is like being enforced by your denomination. Yes. That's fascinating. That seems yeah, so it, foreign it, oh, to me. Yeah.
1: Whoa. <laughs> it is. It really is. It really is.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Uh Steven, I feel like you're another notch up on the bat in this what, what what's oh. going on with Church where you're at right now?
2: Well, uh before before we get to my quick story, I was curious to ask Emily what what's oh, kind of yeah. I mean, so besides an invisible respiratory virus that causes complications in people who we know are immunocompromised or uh, in the elderly population, what is just kind of, what's the feeling in the air around COVID in general, like walking around Cody, Wyoming, are, are people mostly dismissive of the, of the scale and scope of the thing, or are people taking it seriously just, uh, on an individual basis? Uh, I don't know what, what's the, what's the community like just out and about in town?
1: It's so interesting because Cody is such a tourist hub. We have Yellowstone just about 40 minutes west of us. Um, And, I mean, we have other attractions heading further into Wyoming. So, really, we have people coming from all over, and they are the ones who are constantly wearing masks, which is great. But the community of Cody, like some people are skeptical, some people are, you know, cautious, but they don't fully believe in like what's happening. Um, I will say, though, I'm very pleased with even those who don't believe it's real, those who think it's a hoax, whatever. They don't make a big scene about it. Like they're not causing a disturbance of, oh, why are you all wearing masks? Or why are the tables six feet apart? Or, you know, whatever. They're they walk into a situation and they're like, oh, okay. Like this is the new normal. We get it. Um, like a lot of restaurants, they've been implementing policies, which is great. Um, and like the whole county where I'm living in, they've only had so many cases. It hasn't even reached over a hundred, I don't think.
0: Wow. And even then, okay.
1: we've only had three people die. And so it's like oh. people are seeing this and like, oh, this is a real thing. But I think because we're in small town USA and not some metropolitan area, they don't understand the severity of it. We don't have the population size like other people do. And so they are kind of skeptical of it. But, I mean, we're, we're hanging in there, but really it's the tourists who are like, oh, there's so many people here. We're going to wear a mask. And it's really nice to see because I was afraid- That's- with Sturgis Week happening and everything and Yellowstone oh, opening up, yeah. people were not going to wear masks, but yeah. they are. So it's great. Yeah.
2: Wow, okay. I. Isn't it interesting that the, the attitude coming from people who travel a lot, like tourists during this season, are the ones who are like, there's so many people here. But it's, it's like you're the people here, right? You showed up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, okay. That, that's, that, I think that's really good for context, especially to see how a church will respond to the situation. Um, I, it doesn't help that we're kind of in an area that's like in the thick of fire season right now. Like Yellowstone is on fire as we speak.
0: Oh, uh, what? That's news uh, yeah, to me.
2: Like right outside of Old Faithful, um, a big, uh, I think the last time I saw a tweet on it, it was like 300 acres or so was on fire. Whoa. yeah it's like
1: three hundred or so
2: yeah, so a lot of uh the smoke that we're dealing with here in Montana and Wyoming is directly from Yellowstone now. It's not just blowing all the way up from California anymore like it was last week, so like I don't, it's interesting we don't have to talk about this, but it's interesting that uh air quality now is also something we have to factor into a global pandemic just because smoke just by definition uh degrades the air quality in such a way that makes you more susceptible to uh, infection or disease or something so it's like a a weird extra layer that we get to add on top of what is already a very bizarre 2020 as a calendar year right Hmm. yeah Um, that's
1: a great way to describe it
2: yeah like we just have to layer something else on now uh so josh to put it in your terms as the next like notch up the uh up the baseball bat here or something here in Billings. Um, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to address these backwards. So here, the general feeling of the community is it's way overblown. Uh, a lot of people here in Billings being a very red Republican city, because there's a lot of industry here. I think that, uh, we could do a sociological study on how much industry impacts kind of a, a political body or a city. But a totally. lot of people here in Billings are very skeptical of the moves that our state governor Bullock is making, um, especially with the mask directive that came down like a month ago. Mm-hmm. So if if you're indoors, um, it's it's recommended. Uh, it's strongly recommended that you wear a mask pretty much whenever you can when you're out in public. Uh mm-hmm social distancing is still encouraged and most people comply i think there's a lot of how do i want to say this like a lot of people are just begrudgingly compliant you can tell mm-hmm. people are just kind of have an, an eye rolling attitude when you go to the grocery store some people take it just seriously enough to put the mask like loop the mask around their ear but then they just they pull the mask off their nose which is like you get totally. that that's okay whatever um, so like some people do that. Some people. It's interesting that like mask wearing has become. Sadly, it has become almost a political statement in our area where it's like if you don't wear a mask, uh, it's. Boy, I'm gonna say something I regret here on public in the internet or something. But <laughs> do it. if you if you don't wear a mask, you can kind of guess who they're gonna be voting for in November. Let's put it that way.
1: Nope, I I I hear you.
2: That's that's kind of the Hmm. that's kind of what's in the air here in Billings. So church. So that's what it's like on the
0: street. Yeah, what's it like in church? I'm really curious.
2: Church has been interesting. So well, so this the the pandemic was kind of the thing that just kicked my wife and I over the edge of uh getting like before the pandemic we kind of had one foot in and one foot out of our previous church setting church environment mm-hmm. and the pandemic was just kind of what like pushed us out the door and slammed it behind us uh, because mm-hmm. um, in the situation we were in the the whole church is built on there's one central campus and then there's like these satellite campuses where the the message is broadcast over the screen there's a local worship band there's a local campus pastor that mostly does like announcements and hosting and then does work specifically in that city or on small groups or outreach, anything like that. So we were already kind of in a church setting where, I mean, for the first few years we would constantly be fielding questions from people we know, like if you're going to be watching a video in the church building, why don't you just stay at home and watch it on YouTube? like, why don't you just stream oh, yeah, that's the a good thing, point. right? Like it's a common critique for huh. a church model like that, where it's like one central, thing where the uh celebrity pastor preaches from and then the campus pastors handle like the locality Mm.
0: but like on the flip side they were like set up for like being a digital church in the pandemic
2: absolutely they were set up uh they had the infrastructure ready to go so they could just kick everything over to youtube encourage everyone Mm -hmm. to stay home uh as much as possible uh, not even making it an option to come to church in person. Like they pretty much just closed the doors for the months of March and April, and started phasing a couple campuses back in in May to see how that went in their city. Uh, but uh, during that time, Dixie and I just pretty much made the decision that this isn't where we need to be anymore. So, sure. at our new, uh, our new church context which is still very new and like I don't know if we would officially call ourselves members or if the church would even recognize us as such. We're kind of just dabblers at this point, but uh they were pretty much already set up for the same thing. They they had the same digital infrastructure. They were already live streaming to their website. They were already um pushing their whole worship service, worship experience onto the internet uh on YouTube, stuff like that. So that's kind of what we're in right now. So uh, my my mode of going to church is attending with my friends has typically been going over to a living room, uh, with some friends who we know and trust and who like are social distancing responsibly wearing their masks, like being very careful about who they're in contact with, all that kind of stuff. So we kind of have a group defined for ourselves now that we can kind of say these, these people are all trustworthy worthy to make sure we're all above board so that if we hang out, we're, we're communicating well, you know, um,
0: so you guys are like only like watching the service at someone's house. you're not yeah, like going to I, a live service kind I've, of thing.
2: I've gone to a live service twice <laughs> at this church in Billings, and uh, fortunately they have a very large auditorium that afforded uh the space required for social distancing already mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know every other row was roped off uh mm. families could sit together, but whoever was on the edge count out four chairs uh past them before somebody else sits down kind of really getting into the social distancing thing masks masks again were recommended but not required mm. um but i've Wait, so
0: isn't I've, correct me if i'm wrong but isn't montana under like the mandate or whatever still or is it like still kind of up in the it, air it's
2: mm, <laughs> i mean there's there's a lot of conversation around here in billings as to like what sure. authority a mandate means Sure, or, okay, like what, so it's like
0: more or less kind of ambiguous still
2: it's it's a strong recommendation, but at this point, the governor doesn't okay. necessarily have the power to like sick the police on people, sure, Ooh. I mean, sure. like boy, bad uh, uh yeah, sure, yeah, bad phrasing there, but y- you get it, like there's not a lot of like executive enforcement
0: okay.
2: behind the mandate, like I said, it's a very, very strong recommendation. And people can follow it or not follow it as they want to express their freedoms, which is revealing. I don't know if you've looked at a map, a COVID map of Montana lately, but most every other county is down under the hundreds of active cases for the last like three weeks. And I think last week or the week before Billings peaked at about 750 active cases. Yellowstone County has easily been the worst epicenter of COVID in the state. Early on, That's it was like Gallatin County, um, like happening out there in Bozeman. But huh. I mean, at this point, it's pretty much solidly pivoted into uh, Yellowstone Valley here in Billings.
0: Huh. It's so interesting to, to hear like how different it is like at the same time. Just like states away. What is
1: it like for you, Josh? Absolutely. Like,
0: it's yeah. it's really interesting. Well, like, currently, all of the churches, to my knowledge, are closed. And they have been since March. Mm-hmm. And Washington is like still under the, the mask mandate here. And actually, it's like changed a couple times. And currently, the they've placed the onus of responsibility on like the business or organization in which like you'll be inside the building of and if you are not wearing a mask even if you're not like an employee or anything even if you're like a customer or a congregant i guess the the organization is subject to heavy fines if like people are in your building not wearing a mask. oh okay so it's 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 really interesting oh, wow. so we've like we've seen the um Like kind of like the flip side of the social norm of wearing a mask in that, like, if you are not wearing a mask, like you're kind of going against the norm and like people will look at you weird. And I haven't seen any confrontations over it. I haven't had any confrontations, but like people will just like go out of their way to like keep their distance and like be not around the people not wearing a mask. Hmm. It's like really rare that you will see someone out on the street. Not wearing a mask. I mean, granted, like, if I go for a walk around my neighborhood, I won't wear a mask. But, like, if I'm downtown or, like, on transit or at work, certainly, like, you're required to wear a mask legally. Sure. Um, Right. So, but translating that into uh, the church scene, I was just looking this up, like, to fact check myself. And technically, because we're in phase two, um, religious services can Hold services as long as they maintain distancing and they don't exceed 25% of their like fire marshal capacity. Wow. Or up to 200 people. But like, okay. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, wow. Seattle's a big city, but like very few churches, I think, like actually have the amphitheater space to have more than a handful of people with proper distancing. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. I can think of a couple. Right yeah yeah there's definitely a couple
0: but like to my knowledge especially because like the governor and the county like a lot of the counties are united on this that um like everyone is strongly encouraged to like be remote if possible like all of the big tech companies tons of people have like already announced to their employees like you can work from home at least through the end of the year and we're like telling you to already so like there might be some church out there, like, some small congregation that's, like, figured out how to, like, safely meet. But, like, otherwise, I would expect that, like, no church in Seattle is even dreaming of opening within this year. Yeah. And that's just, like, a well, wow. well, like then, a wildly contrasted experience to, like, you guys, <laughs> I think. <laughs>
1: right. Well, it's interesting you say that because, like, I'm thinking about my particular congregation and, like, they are just itching to have the doors like fully open, to have the services back to normal the way they were. And totally, I just can't do that. And luckily we have a safety committee at my church. And let me tell you, these people are so creative. They're so thoughtful and they are so good at what they do because they created policies for the church to say, okay, this is how we're going to have services. We're going to sanitize every Saturday at this time. And they started by roping off the pews. Like, Stephen, what you were saying at your church, they would rope section off like certain pews and people had to sit in certain ways. And what they did was they created this plexiglass frame that they placed in front of the pulpit so people could see me. And I could see them and I could preach without wearing a mask. But then the congregation has to wear a mask if they're sitting in the pews.
2: Wow. But
1: that way we had the barrier. So like our choir and our band could perform without masks. But there's this barrier in the way. So that's pretty neat. And now we're in this phase in our church where people can sit wherever they want, but they have to wear a mask. They are required to wear it. We have people that check their temperature before they enter the building. We have questions that we ask them, like, where have you been? How do you feel? Things like that. Um, And so we're making progress towards, like, being, quote-unquote, normal again. But my congregation just keeps asking, so when are we going to have fellowship time? When can we have potlucks afterwards? When can we do this and that? And I'm just like, people... We can't yet. Like, we are in these Uh, spaces for your safety and for everyone's well-being. And it's so frustrating when people question my authority into saying, like, I care about you. That's why we're not doing this. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to do five funerals in a week because we were irresponsible about what's happening Mm -hmm. in our community. Even if we're not like, you know, Seattle or Chicago or other or even like Billings. We don't sure. have the numbers like they do, but we don't want to be like that. And that's why we're doing the things that we're doing.
0: Hmm. Wow. You know, what's crazy is that, like, I know I kind of mentioned this on episode one, but about, like, how, like, I church hopped a little bit in Seattle, and I, like, finally started semi-regularly attending this one uh, small service, and, like, just, like, hearing you talk about, like, what your... Services currently look like, like, man, I would kill for that right now. <laughs> like that sounds great.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> like it's kind of it's interesting <laughs> to me, like I uh like I know I've already kind of touched on this, so I'm, I'm not gonna ramble too much, but like it was nice to have a little bit of a break to like not have the like, uh obligation of like volunteering at church regularly. like kind of having like a spiritual break from that, like church not meaning. Like I'm showing up and doing something um, and then like finding meaning in like experiencing church for what it is instead of like for volunteering sake and sure like rediscovering that for myself, I think. And then like, like being thrust into like, oh, just kidding. Like we can't meet together and we don't know when we'll be able to meet together again. Honestly, it's like reinforced for me that like that desire to be together with people. Like, I definitely do not get the same feeling from watching online services that I get from being in the same room with people, even if I, like, don't really know them that well. <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of striking to me, honestly, how much it's, like, reinforced that desire in me.
2: Yeah. I want you to keep talking more about this because my next question to pose for, to the three of us that we could roundtable a little bit was... So this is, this is what we've seen kind of born into our church context, uh, given the pandemic, given the pandemic in our separate areas. So, so Josh, what has, uh, this, this is going to sound very evangelical of me, but what
0: has your so ready.
2: personal walk with Jesus or your personal experience of spirituality been since COVID hit, uh, like kind of walk well, us through that story.
0: Um, as you know my like my personal relationship with Jesus is just like so so important to me, and like okay, wow. I just like <laughs> I'm sorry, you know last um, episode
2: when we said we didn't want to caricaturize anyone
0: you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right
2: <laughs> unfair um
0: uh, that's a good question um to be honest, um, I have not had like a sense of like regular um spiritual focus in a while. Like I uh, journaling is a good example for me, I guess, because like I've journaled off and on for the last couple of years and I've noticed that I go through phases. Like I might journal regularly, like maybe even every day for like six months and then like fall off the wagon, so to speak, and then just like forget about it for a while. And then like I'll come back to it and be like, oh yeah, like this is really good. Like I do like writing down my spot my thoughts spiritually and otherwise and um i feel like the pandemic for me has been kind of similar in that regard that like i'll i don't know like i'll have theological conversations with friends and like excuse me i'll be reading and listening to podcasts but like i've i guess that's what i mean by like it's reinforced for me that like desire to meet together with people that like that's like the one piece of the puzzle that like i can't satisfy within myself that like I can listen to as many podcasts as I want and I can I can like find my inner thoughts in journaling as cool as that is and I can like talk with friends about what I'm thinking about theologically with like current circumstances but like at the end of the day like I am not worshipping with people and like I noticed that lack in me and I I noticed that lack in me for like probably the first time in a long time and I don't know I I guess like it's caused me to ruminate a little bit on like the collective nature of Christianity. I think especially growing up in American Christianity, it's really easy to focus on uh, like your individual. I hate saying this, but like your individual relationship with God as like the crux of it all, even though that's like superimposed with like you're meeting together and you're being a part of church. It's kind of like a paradoxical message there in a way, but like, for, I think for me being at home so long and like having the ability to um, like literally sample any service I want online or like just pop in and like see what this church is doing and like see what this church is doing. And like it, for me, it's just like not had that satisfaction of like having a regular ritualistic, if you will, like showing up to like worship with other people. So mm. I guess in that sense it's it's been pretty lacking for me
2: if you will. And it sounds like that that makes you sad a little bit.
0: Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. I I cannot wait for the day <laughs> when yeah. like I uh I visited Billings a couple weeks ago um to be open about that and I saw you, Stephen, and that was wonderful, mm-hmm. but I visited um my old church which is currently meeting in Billings, um, with masks and with distancing and they have a large enough sanctuary and a small enough congregation that like, it's pretty possible from what it seems like, um, I'm not like super up to date with, um, what they are like week to week, but, um, I went there and it was, it was really refreshing like that is probably mm. going to be the only church service I will be able to attend in person for the remainder of the year. Oof. And it's my first one since February. Oof. And yeah. That was just kind of surreal honestly. Like I've totally fallen asleep <laughs> during that pastor's sermons before and like I was so engaged like <laughs> Oh yeah. I was just I was just sitting there and I was like I'm no matter what, like what I disagree about theologically or like what I think about this service stylistically, like, man, I'm just happy to be here. This is great. Mm. (laughs) Mm.
1: That's great.
2: I like that attitude a lot. I, so my spiritual life since, you know, the day it all went down early March. uh, So I, I did this, this weird thing because like my job was very secure. Still. I was able to bring all my work home. I worked from, Hmm. My, my home office, also my podcast studio, like I just worked out of the same room for probably two and a half months before I ended up going back to the office. And even in the office, we're being, we're being responsible about social distancing and wearing masks when we can't maintain six feet and like wiping down surfaces. If you use the water pitcher or open the fridge or use the microwave, stuff like that. But working from home, I treated most of March just as a vacation. And mm. I don't think that was necessarily healthy, but in my mind, I I didn't know how long it was going to last. So I was just kind of living it up and being like, wow, this is, this is something else, man. Totally. I could get into this, you know, just kind of rolling mm. out of bed, throwing some pajamas on, making a cup of coffee and just going straight to work. I don't have to worry about like getting dressed and uh, like even showering every day was something that a habit that just kind of disappeared for me.
0: It like, I treated I'm it. I'm sure. I'm sure your wife loved that. That sounds wonderful. I mean, it wasn't.
2: Okay. Moving on.
1: We are not. Yeah, I know Stephen's what you mean.
0: I know what hygiene. you mean.
2: Yeah. Well, so I my, like my spiritual life just pretty much was like, I'm on vacation, right? Like my journaling went away mm. uh, because we weren't meeting in person at church. Um, I have this, hmm. I have this hang up with attending church online where it's like I get there and you know, like you're watching through YouTube or watching through their website. And I, I think I know what you're talking about, Josh, where it's like, there's something in the air when you're actually collected with other human beings and like, yeah. in the same room. Cause when you watch it to me, it's like I mean, if I'm watching something, there's better stuff to watch, right? Like there's more highly produced, totally. more entertaining things to watch. So like the, uh, in a weird way, I would describe it almost as like the scales were falling off my eyes in that moment. I was like, I, it almost caused like a disenchantment with the local in-person gathering to me. I was actually, I went, uh. I went the opposite way from you and I was like, well, really? I mean, if this is all we're doing, then I could recreate this like I could continue meeting with a small group or mm. even uh, even right now, just the way we get to play together, tell stories, get together every week and kind of have a common touch point, like meeting with my mm. Dungeons and Dragons group feels like a religious experience to me just in that like it's it's recreating that community. So in that sense, mm. I totally get what you're going for. I'm just, like, in my mind right now, the the community that was lost in, like, a church service, I'm not sure, like, I'm not convinced needs to come back for me, personally, right? Um, hmm. Which, I mean, that kind of has to do with, you know, in my spiritual bio in episode one, I kind of talked about how I was... Uh, a professional Christian for a little while. And now I'm a recovering worship leader. It was like very much, uh, you know, Josh, you already mentioned today something about feeling that unspoken obligation to volunteer or unspoken volu- like urge to serve. Otherwise you kind of feel guilty for like taking up a seat, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so to me, like actually being free from that feeling of obligation literally felt freeing to me. Like I was like, Oh, I could explore spirituality in a completely different way. Cause this, this setting was like, man, this feels really disingenuous to say, but, uh, the way this is cynicism for sure. So I'm not, I'm not saying anyone should think like this because I'm not proud of myself thinking like this, but the way the sermon was starting to sound to me was just like a, a weekly Christian Ted talk. And the, the worship just ended up being like another live concert to me and to be honest if I'm going to a live concert I'd rather it be at a bar where I can like have a drink and hang out and (laughs) I don't know I don't I don't really really know what I'm where I'm going here but it's I feel like my spirituality and my spiritual life actually upgraded because I got to finally Hmm. completely sever the tether between me and like American popularized Christianity and I finally got to like sit in my chair for an hour at a time spent in intentional contemplative prayer and reading books. Mm. I finally feel free to read because I'm not feeling like a lot of weird social shame about reading Richard Rohr when everyone else thinks I should be reading Judah Smith or whatever, you know, I like that was the context I was in and I finally had a space where it's like, I mean, if no one's watching, then I'm finally going to like full on get into Mm. it, you know? And that's kind of where I am now. That's kind of, that's kind of where I was going with episode one is like uh, right now I'm, I'm not convinced church in like a classically American expression is what I need. I'm intrigued by a lot more of a uh, liturgical setting, but at the same time I also want to treat the pandemic seriously and not risk anyone who right. has sure. already been plugged into a community. Like I'm, I'm so incredibly curious to go to St. Pat's Co Cathedral um, here in Billings uh, with the Catholic Church. Like, I'm oh, so yeah. intrigued to go to a mass there and just experience what these mm. people experience. But also, I don't want to take a seat reserved for someone who has been going there for 50 years who needs that. Oh, right?
0: Sure. Yeah. It's like just coming back from the, from the pandemic and like really wants to be there. Exactly. Is that what you're
2: like, they have something sure. there that I. I feel a responsibility to actually not interfere with at the moment.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Here's a question that I've been thinking about. uh like you kind of brought this up already, so I kind of want to talk about it like that kind of like disenchantment or like the the scales falling off your eyes as it were, kind of using a Pauline language there. Thank you um, How many people do you think will like experience like a I'm I'm not quite sure what else word to use besides like disenchantment, but like when we were like growing up being told that like to be a Christian means have a relationship with Jesus like individually, but paradoxically it also means showing up to church with other people mm-hmm. for some reason. Yeah. And like now all of a sudden when like it looks different state to state, but like for a lot of states still um, you like you either can't or like, meeting together is limited and like really restricted, even in like, in Emily's case, I would argue. So like, on what level do we think this might affect, um, A, our theology about church, but B, uh, people's perspective on like, uh, like how going to church fits into the puzzle of like being a Christian? Ooh. Ooh, ooh, Emily, ooh, go, ooh. you take thoughts. it. You Emily's take it. got it's an answer. <laughs> okay. Take it, please. so
1: first off, First off, um, there is no better time to be a pastor than now because of this pandemic. Uh, there is so tank. much that you can talk about. There is so much that you can talk about. Like I'm using our lectionary mm. currently, um, and for our New Testament readings, we're focusing a lot in Matthew. Um, and so for this last Sunday, our reading was um, Matthew 16, where Jesus takes his disciples to Sisera Philippi. And it's the whole, you know, this is the, you are the rock, the foundation where I will build my church. Mm. And in front of the gates of Hades, I will stop the powers of death, blah, blah, Mm. blah. So initially, like, people think, oh, this is talking about, like, the creation of, you know, of the church. And Peter's so great. And I was like, y'all, there's so much more to this story. Like, we are talking about someone making a statement in front of the literal gates of Hades saying that this mm. community is going to be sent out and overcome the powers of death, right? Wasn't thinking I would go Whoa. that route, but it was great for me to preach on that. And so if I was to go back mm. even further in Matthew, we'd had the story of, you know, Peter walking on water and then, you know, falling and Jesus catching him and saying, oh, ye have little faith. And there's so many things that you can talk about because of this pandemic. We can talk about how it's not about a lack of faith It's about how we Mm. are striving to yearn for God, and what does it mean to yearn for God during a pandemic? And I could just go on and on. Like, seriously, Uh. reading scripture through the lens of COVID-19 has been eye-opening for me spiritually. It has really forced me to look at scripture and to say, what is it saying for me in the 21st century? Because I don't think first Mm. century people would understand COVID. The way we do like if we were to bring peter with us he would probably be like what is going on like why what what is this remote church why are you guys not Mm. gathering what what is happening Mm. we are now reshaping what it means to be in community and so for me i've been able to look at scripture i've been able to pray with members of my church and they ask the question of, like, what, what is God saying to me today during COVID-19? What is God saying to my family? And we can unravel that together. And it's really cool because there's a lot that God is saying during this time. Like, then it's funny because, Josh, you say you're on one spectrum and, Stephen, you're on the other. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm kind of in this, I, I want that community. I want that longing for being with other people and being in an intentional space. But I'm also with you, Stephen, where I'm able to create this intentional space with just myself or taking time to do things that I hadn't done before or things that I kind of let go in regards Mm. to spiritual practices. Um, And it's funny because in March, when I was still in Chicago and COVID was really rampant, I just completely shut down. Like, I couldn't focus uh, on my schoolwork. Mm. I wasn't allowed to even attend my church for internships. And so I couldn't even say goodbye to my congregation. Oh. I just completely was like, oh, COVID sucks. Like, there's no room for community. Like, this is horrible. And then as I was getting ready for my appointment, I was like, thinking about how we are given this opportunity to connect On a spiritual level, not just attending a service like online or in community, but actually being spiritual and what it Mm. means to connect in a way that transcends human understanding. And I don't think that would have happened if COVID wasn't present, in my opinion. I think something like COVID has opened my eyes to what it means to worship. What does it mean to be in community? What does it mean to pray? It's so sad to think that it took a global pandemic to do that, Mm. but I'm glad Mm. that it's happening now and not, you know, a hundred years from now when who knows what it'll look like, but Mm. it's just a strange time to be in. It's so strange. But at the same time, like I said, being a pastor, I, may, I'm, I am fulfilling my duties in regards to spiritual care and pastoral care. Thank you, COVID. But also, you suck.
0: <laughs> Man, I really like that perspective. I feel like that's really, I feel like that's really key in, like, the view that, um, like, theology and religion, like, still has relevance for the modern world, like, even like in the midst of uh, like unpredictability and like world catastrophe and like uh, like borderline apocalyptic scenarios that like that doesn't mean that like our concepts of like relating to each other and relating to the divine just like go out the window
1: and especially, especially like the message of yeah. loving your neighbor that has been a huge yeah. topic in our church, of what does it mean to love your neighbor? Well, it mm. means to wear your mask mm. when you're in public. It means preach socially it. distancing yourself. It means putting yourself aside for the other, so that way all can prosper. Like if you truly, mm. if you truly want to see the Imago Day, if you truly want to see God in every person. God is saying, hmm. yo, you care about me, wear a mask. <laughs> like, you care for your fellow Christian, like, wear a mask.
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's such a good a um, uh, good example of Christianity as a heuristic. Like, this might be a whole nother discussion, but like, yes. a heuristic being like a, a rule of thumb that like overlays as a lens and is not necessarily like an explicit, like, do this, don't do that. But like, the way of Christ as like a heuristic that is meant to like, interpret and reinterpret our current circumstances and show us like, what is the way to be followed. And I feel like that's such a great example of that. Like up until this year, like nobody would have used the phrase to love your neighbor means to wear a mask. But like, I've heard so many people say that the last couple of months, you know what I mean?
1: It's so true.
0: That's really interesting.
2: I love that. I've, so I've been, I've been puzzling over this concept of community in this kind of age of COVID because I was just talking about, uh, this with my mom actually over this weekend, I was talking about how like our generation is uniquely feels to me, uniquely poised to handle something like COVID in a graceful way when it comes to a spiritual expression of life, because we have the internet and we have things like Mm -hmm. Zoom and Facebook Live and YouTube available for us so that we can kind of expand what it means to be a community. So now our community doesn't necessarily have to be the people within my city limits that go to the same church, that go to the same coffee shops. Like community has kind of adopted this whole global flavor to it now that we can connect with people like us from Mississippi and from Massachusetts or Wyoming or Washington, Mm -hmm. you know. Like we can, I mean, the very basic definition of community or tribe is like people like us do stuff like this. So when you're finding people, even like a podcast, Facebook discussion group, Josh, like you you and I are a part of a couple and you know, like we're finding people like us that we have never met in the meat space, you know, in, in person, like we couldn't give their body a hug, but at the same time there is a. There seems to be like a communal spiritual connection with them just by the fact that we can get into a place where we feel comfortable being people like this together. But at the same time, it's also forcing us to think about our literal neighbor in the sense of yes, wear a mask because when you breathe, you spread a cloud of particles. And if you wear a mask, it hinders all that and it kind of keeps it all trapped up so that you're not, if you have anything on your breath, even as a, an asymptomatic carrier you know you're you're loving your neighbor by guarding them against yourself which has some interesting spiritual implications when it comes to like a conversation oh, yeah, about totally. sin like what does it mean to guard yeah. your neighbor uh-huh. against yourself when it comes to your own selfishness or your own depravity or your own uh your own illness uh whether it be bodily right. mentally spiritually um what, what are we doing to protect the physical people next to us? Like those people have bodies, they have experiences. They also get the flu. They also like, right. you know, they also get sleepy like you on Sunday afternoon. Uh, so like, there's ah. this weird, there's this weird thing. It seems to me in COVID where we get to be in tune with what's happening in Seattle and New York city and Austin, Texas and Phoenix, Arizona and how everyone is handling the pandemic. But at the same time, it like it also forces it's like a bifocal lens, right? Like we get to be nearsighted a little bit and it draws us closer to our city limits and also like pushes us out like globally. And you can see like, wow, Italy, you know, it was rough at the beginning, but they handled it pretty well. And like Sweden, they decided to stay completely open. And, you know, whether you think that worked or not, That's, that's how that happened. Like we get a view of both the, the macro and the micro.
0: Well, and I feel like what's really interesting about that to me too, is that, uh, like it does have this like hyper-focus on like the day-to-day kind of like you mentioned, but like, I think a lot of people are like already beginning to dream about the long term. like small business is a good example. Like a lot of small businesses are like, you know, shuttered still, especially here in Seattle. Like some of them are just like literally shuttered. And like not open. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that a lot of people are beginning to dream about like the long term. Like, how are we going to come back? How are we going to be different? Like, what needs to change to make us successful? And I feel like the conversation about church in that spectrum is like going to be really, really interesting. Do you guys want to oh, hear my yeah. theories? Go for it. Yes, share. Okay. I have I have two theories. Stephen already touched on one of them, and it's funny. I I ran across a tweet earlier. Um from a dude I don't even follow. It just like showed up in the algorithm. And I think it's so interesting that multiple people have this thought. Um, This guy said, his handle is um, at Eric Hoke, H-O-K-E, just to uh, give him credit. He said, don't quote me on this, but I'm imagining we are going to see a surge in micro churches in the next five to 10 years and more Christians desiring to meet in homes around dinner tables than large Sunday gatherings. Pastors, let's be wise and plan accordingly. And I think that is so intriguing. I've already had that thought for years. Like, this is my first theory. I personally would love to see like some sort of church model. I already know of one church in Bozeman that already meets this way. And I don't know how they're handling the pandemic. But pre-pandemic, they're already doing this. Where they meet in home churches like of small groups. And then once a month, they have big church where they like have all the house churches meet Mm. together in some fashion. It's
1: almost like John Wesley, but like 2.0. Oh,
0: say more please. John Wesley already did this? Yes, please.
1: (laughs) Sort of, sort of. So in in the United States, um, it really took off, um, but basically John Wesley had sent out what we would now call bishops. They were superintendents as their label. to go out and they would preach. They were on these circuits where they would travel from town to town. They would stay for about a month or so and they would preach and they would share in meals and things like that. And then they would go to the next town. And the hope of that was the communities would establish churches or or places of gathering on their own and would become more permanent. And they would then want pastors to stay more permanently. And this is what we would call circuit riders. And so essentially, like John Wesley, for small groups, like he did, he would meet in their homes. Like he would have Bible studies Uh. in in people's houses. Like his mother was a huge advocate for this. And she did this a lot where she would cook meals um, and offer prayers. This is essentially like circuits coming back, Mm. but revamped for the 21st century. So that's really cool. I personally would be okay with that. I think that would be really neat.
0: You know what else it made me think of, too, is like, I think this was really popular during the Second Great Awakening, where there was a lot of like, um, like, there's a lot of emphasis on like tent revivals, and like these big, giant things that happened, but then also there was like an explosion in like home church growth. Mm,
2: Yeah. And it was sort of similar, but it was like Mm -hmm. less
0: structured. Yeah. That's really interesting. I hadn't even made that connection. Okay, so that's my first idea. And I'm a huge proponent of that. Here's my second idea. You know how, I think, I don't remember where I heard this first pointed out. It might have been on Trip Fuller's Homebrewed Christianity podcast, which if you want like really nerdy, heady theology. Uh, also, is heady the new like shorthand for intellectual? I feel like I hear people say heady a lot. It might be. Is that, that right? sounds right to me. Am I using yeah. that term right? Yeah. Okay. So if you want a really heady podcast, listen to that one. But um, I think I heard him point this out first where like, How in like Catholic and Orthodox churches, there's still kind of a, this is more so true maybe 50 or 100 years ago, but there's like a separation between clergy and lay people, like literally even a physical separation, especially in churches that like has that cross shape. Um, Yeah. And there's like not only a stage, but like some sort of like physical, like half wall that like serves as like a visual separation, right? Right. And... Protestant churches. I don't know if this is true of Methodism, so please correct me, Emily. Um, okay. But the more like non-denominational American churches tend to be less separated. There's a little bit more curvature rather than like um, the sanctuary literally being linear. Like the clergy is facing the lay people. Oh, yeah. But the uh, the newer layouts, the like modern architecture, has lended itself to be like more semi-circular. So, like, even if there is a stage and, like, there's some sort of, like, physical elevation, there's not nearly as much, like, design centered around, like, clergy being separated from lay people. Do you feel like that's true in Methodism? I'm it, curious.
1: Well, it really depends on the the literal building itself. Um, okay. So, I know, like, the church that I was interning at in Elk Grove, Illinois, Their building was an octagon, and so the pews went seven out of the eight sides of the building, and so then the pastor was kind of preaching in the middle, whereas my church here, it's very linear where I am facing the congregation, so it really just depends on the building and how they are utilizing that worship
2: space. Huge fan of the octagon, by the way. Wow. Yeah, yeah.
1: It was so cool. I loved it. It was such a small building too, so it was very intimate. Um, But yeah, it was super neat. I loved it.
0: Do you know if the octagon building was much newer off the top of your head? Oh, no. Oh, no, it was older. Much older. Interesting. It was built like over 100
1: years ago. Whoa, that's
0: fascinating. Okay, anyway, my theory is slash what I would push for is like a completion of that octagon or circle Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I would argue that we're like almost headed there. Like if you look at church architecture, um, especially, especially in like some communities that are like experimenting a little bit. Um, like my, at my last church, um, in Billings, my, my buddy Alex has done this at a couple different churches where he arranges the sanctuary in a circle in like concentric circles. And he's really only done it for like special events. And honestly, I'm a huge fan of it, and the Episcopal church that I started attending here in Seattle also arranged that way mm. and i've like I've loved that idea for um quite a few years, like for a number of reasons, but I almost wonder if the pandemic will like push us towards designs that way like in in some sort of design that like a allows us to see each other. I love that, and b like still sort of maintains like some sort of space, like physically, like it's like in the design.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. It encourages social distancing if, if it holds up for yeah years. Oh, I like yeah. that a
0: lot. So I don't know. Those are like the two ideas that are like off the top of my head. Like maybe we'll see more house churches and like we meet together sometimes if it's safe slash if we figure this whole thing out. Um, or maybe we'll just, like, see a complete redesign of church structure, like, physically.
2: I think all of the above are certainly options, certainly possibilities. I, I just, I, I can't see a way that the church is just going to go back to normal like it was in February of 2020 or December of mm. 2019. I just, I I don't know of a way that the mm. church gets to go back there without addressing the elephant in the room. And that is, Oh wow. We've been social socially distancing for a while. We've moved all our services to online and we've been online for this long. And now that we're all opened up again, people kind of realize that they could stay home anyway. So uh, my theory is that a lot of people who are enjoying getting in on the YouTube stream and then like being able to worship with their family and like stay in their pajamas and make pancakes while they watch the, the preacher go I think a lot of those people are not going to go back very quickly. Hmm. hmm.
0: Which I, I think both of you kind of touched on this. Maybe that's not a bad thing that like, if, if the main thing or like an emphasis that we're like getting out of church is the teaching. I feel like Stephen, you have also experienced the, like the vast number of podcasts and like learning that you can do via podcasts. Ugh. And like, you don't need to, like, meet in a space for that. So, like, if, like, this is the thing that, like, gets people on board with, like, oh, I can learn, literally learn remotely. Like, I can learn about Christianity and my faith and God, and I don't have to, like, be somewhere to do it. I can do it from anywhere. Right. I feel like that seems super accessible. But at the same time, I wonder if we're going to see more people kind of, like, maybe in my camp, in a way, that, like, want to meet together for, like, the worship, experience with other people. Mm. They're like, I'm not, I'm not meeting together to like get teaching or like quote unquote get fed, but like I'm meeting with other people for like the experience of worshiping together. Yeah. And they're like, there's something different about that.
2: There definitely is. I I think that also kind of gets to denominational difference. Like Catholics, Episcopals, Methodists even kind of spend a lot less time doing a lot of talking. Like, I don't know, Emily, maybe you, you can fact check me here, but my experience of Methodist, like a Methodist church or a, a homily at Catholic mass is like 10, 15, 20 minutes at the max. Whereas if you're going to like an evangelical or Baptist or a, a very like popular mega church setting, you're pretty much signing up for like a 45 to 60 minute talk.
1: Oh yeah, no, I... My longest has been 17 minutes. Wow. I have known Methodist pastors at least to go as short as six.
2: Wow. And even I,
1: that's too Whoa. short for me. Um, so it, you, I would say the average is between 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. For, for at least Methodist preaching. And that's because we follow sort of like there's outlines, like there's a four page sermon style of writing. There's yeah. narrative style of writing a sermon. So it really just depends on what, outline if you even use an outline some people like i sometimes don't use a manuscript at all i just kind of go mm-hmm. up there and i know what the scripture is and i'm just going to kind of improv it sort of speak wow. um, but even then when i do that it's still not beyond 15 minutes okay
2: yeah see and i think it it comes down to uh like liturgical flavor or worship experience flavor for it might josh i guess my, to to expand my theory a little bit it might come down to if you are a person predisposed to enjoy something more like Emily's sermons, then like getting together, gathering in community, uh, taking Eucharist every week, uh, saying the prayers together, doing the sign of the cross, all these things, like a very like liturgical motions to it. I think that might might draw people back because the experience is less in being talked at And it's more like acting in community together, like acting out the scriptures in a way, like performing the mass together. Whereas, uh, again, I, it, it, I guess I mean, mean it mostly derogatory, but like showing up for the Christian Ted talk, I think a lot of (laughs) people are going to realize that that was kind of what was happening. And I mean, you can get, you can literally get Ted talks on the internet too.
0: So, (laughs) Right. Yeah, like even before the pandemic, like you could really listen to most pastors right. online. Yeah. Like you could even listen to my dad's church, which like barely understands the internet as a way to like broadcast yeah. church. Like you could listen to him. Um, Stephen, you brought up uh, this point that I think is really interesting about um, the possibility that. Well, actually, I was thinking about this with Emily, too. Like, you kind of touched on this with, like, people are literally missing potlucks and fellowship. Yep. Like, I wonder if we're going to come out on this other side with maybe, like, a new sense in American Christianity of, like, what it means to, like, communally be Christians. That, like, there's only so far that we can be, like, Christians individually. And, like, maybe we will have a new sense of, like, we're in this together. Like, as cheesy as that sounds, like... Like maybe, I I don't know. I just like, I can see that like shaping our theology going forward. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. And I mean, it it really makes you think about what the community needs to be or like what you need to do to be officially called a, I don't know, a small group or a church community of some sort. Mm -hmm. Because again, Mm -hmm. I I talked about this Mm -hmm. earlier. I feel a tremendous amount of connection and emotional and relational depth with my dungeons and dragons family that hmm. i haven't felt at a church for probably 2 or 3 years even pre pre pandemic going to a small group that there's there's something about the community i have with my D fam that that is satisfying that like deep need for a human soul to be in community with others uh so like hmm. i don't know maybe we could uh leave a cliffhanger on this episode and we could just say like let's talk about community and what would be required to call yeah. it like a church meeting or Ooh, yeah, or, yeah I like that. or something like that. Because really you know like like, like we get together to play D D and we eat food and we drink good drinks and we tell stories together and we play games and we create these worlds in our minds mm. and at the same time, like we're having real moments of emotion, like engaging with the story, role playing through. And it's almost like a, like a Lectio Divina type way of engaging your mind in something. So, you know, like the Lectio Divina method mm. of reading mm-hmm. scripture is place yourself into the prodigal son. Like, who do you want to be this time? What, and, and imagine Mm-hmm. what it would be like to be the older son or the father or the younger son. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, D and D does that for me or the calf, but what would that count? Like if yeah. I told people, yeah, I go to church every Friday night and we play D and D like, would people give me the side eye and be like, you didn't do church then. Uh, cause I feel like I did. Sure. You know?
0: Hmm. Yeah. We should, yeah, well, that needs to be a whole episode. I think Okay. <laughs> the idea of community. <laughs> oh, that's good though. Um,
1: I really like that. Yeah. This might,
0: this might be too hot buttony in our, like, closing remarks, but, like, <laughs> um, what do you guys think of John MacArthur opening his church and just, like, letting thousands of people come in? <laughs> or I, someone told me the other day, I haven't actually verified this myself, that Bethel is also opening their church. But I can't remember where California is at right now with their, like, closure, but I know John MacArthur is also in California, so it might be a similar situation.
2: Oh, man, Josh, this is not the time to introduce... (laughs) I know, that's
0: such a terrible question to bring up, like, last minute. (laughs) I...
1: And that's a doozy.
0: (laughs) It's such a doozy. It's such a doozy. Because, like, on one hand, I get it. Like, I totally relate to, like, man, I just, like... I want to be together with people. Like, I want that, like, church feeling. Like, whether it's, like, meeting with a small group or whether it's, like, worshiping with other people weekly, like... Man, I've like, I've totally realized how much I've taken that for granted. Like as much as my like theology has changed and like I wrestle with like what it means to go to a church that I like disagree with or like I'm not completely on board with. But like, man, I totally relate to that feeling of just like, man, I want to be back. I get it. Uh, If,
2: okay, here at the end of the episode, if I dare to be so black and white about it, because I usually don't like living in black and white, but (laughs) like I I get what they're going for but i think it is an irresponsible move considering we live in a world with science and the, the, i know i i know there's a lot of information that seems to be like the proof text on both sides of the science argument with covid-19 but as long as there's a possibility that a major outbreak is going to spread through that meeting and this might be revealing some of my skepticism around uh, the purpose and power or potential of like real prayer, but I I think you could pray Mm. for it as much as you want. But I just think Mm. as as a leadership move, I think it's incredibly irresponsible to put that many people in harm's way because at least what I know of John MacArthur, the theology and the philosophy kind of, leads his life on is not joining the rest of us in kind of our postmodern bedrock for what we've built our entire thing on, you know, it, like there's something, (laughs) I don't know, there's, there's something that feels very naive to me. And I think it's, I I just think it's dangerous. I, I think it's being very irresponsible with the people that have chosen to call you their pastor. And call you their leader. And they like mm. they look up to you and you're setting the bar.
0: Sure. Yeah, like it kind of goes back to that verse in um uh, is it in Timothy or is it one of Paul's letters where he like mentions like the teachers will be mm. judged yeah, to a different yeah. standard because you're like leading yep. people, right? So mm. I'm not a fan, but I'd love to pick but this up. I it also mm. Oh, go ahead, Emily. I want to hear your thoughts on this. I was
1: just gonna say, I definitely agree with you on Leadership wise, it's very irresponsible. I'm just reminded of um so there's there's this analogy of the sheep and the sheepdog and a shepherd, and like who are we as pastors? Are we the shepherd? Are we the sheepdog? Are we the sheep? And there's a lot of conversation mm-hmm. going back and forth about who we are. And I identify myself as being the sheepdog, where I am gaining knowledge and learning how to be a leader through the shepherd, but I'm still kind of amongst the sheep, like. I'm not the shepherd, but I'm also not the sheep. And for me as a pastor to say, this is how it's going to be. Let's open up the doors. Everyone's welcome. I am putting myself in a position where I am almost playing God. Like I'm being a puppet master of other people's fates. Because I don't have any regard for what's going on around me. I just care about filling the pews. I care about the quantity of those attending and not the quality of the life that they're living. Yeah, That's just very heartbreaking to me. And so it's like, for Mm. me, I I would look at him and say, shame on you. Shame on you. And I would shake my finger in his face and I would probably have other words to say, but they're not appropriate at this time.
2: And then I would be right behind you, like giving you poetry snaps. Amen. Poetry snaps for
0: that. Like, yes. I Okay. Poetry snaps.
2: Some of it, I truly believe... Uh, in in the case of a, a a nationally and internationally recognized church like Bethel or like John MacArthur being the kind of powerhouse theologian he is in his circles, some of it I mm. truly believe is motivated by money and the the, sure, the sure. insane wave of tithes that are going to come in with people who are in that room finally feeling the juice again, feeling the electricity of being in the same room. And they're like, this is my guy. He's leading, like leading the church, like into the battle, like head of the battalion. We're charging in and we're going to, I don't know if I can be so bold as to say that, Mm -hmm. but I do think some of it is, is money driven
0: to, to give a different perspective on that really quick. I feel like we can, we can draw like some sort of distinction between someone like, uh, like Kenneth Copeland, if you know that God, name, like the millions uh, dollar uh, jet guy, like he has like $3 million jets and someone like John MacArthur, who like in some ways I honestly think he thinks he's making the right decision. Like, and uh, like motivations aside, like I think we can maybe draw a distinction between like someone who like sees himself as a serious God driven God centered theologian as much as we might disagree with him versus someone who's like clearly motivated by money and is like asking poor people to buy him million dollar jets like that's to me that feels at the very least different even if like we can tie in some sort of motivation with like financial sustainability but like you made me think of like i this kind of brings up the question of like how do we handle uh this is also gonna be a different discussion. But like how do we handle leadership that's like made a bad call? Like, we're recording this episode on the weekend of like Jerry Falwell's like mm, kind of seems like a pretty big falling oh out. Gosh, like yes. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention oh, to the news, it's but like so there's a lot that's been oh. happening just today. Yikes. Yeah. Um, oh gosh. If you want to look that up on your own time, feel free. But um I just listened to this episode, which I There's very few episodes that I would recommend for anybody and very few podcasts, but like I just listened to this um, small series of episodes from Malcolm Gladwell's uh, revisionist history show. And I don't remember the names off the top of my head, but if you just Google like Jesuits, I'm sure you would find it because he just did this three part series on the Jesuit way of thinking. um, That's usually called causistry. And it's like this, this way of like looking back at the past at like two examples. It's really easy for the Jesuits in some ways because like they have like decisions made by the Pope to reference. Whereas we in like post-Reformation Christianity kind of don't have that like backing up of tradition as much. But like their their way of thinking about it is like let's to like deal with this modern problem. Let's look back at like the two closest things or like two contrasting things about that like sort of relate to this issue and think about it on like two sides of the same coin. Like, is it closer to number one or is it closer to number two? And like that will guide us in like going forward from here. And I know I'm butchering that and I know I'm oversimplifying mm. that. So if you're interested in that, go to those episodes. But um, it, in thinking about this example with John MacArthur, it kind of makes me think about that. Like when we look back on this, whatever whatever ramifications whatever consequences happen pandemic wise like how are we going to look back on this and say like that was probably a good call or like i like i see like what your motivation is and like what you're trying to get across in regards to how christianity is meant to like set literally like set itself apart in terms of like the world standards but like how how are we going to wrestle because like i look at him and his congregation, and I can't help but think like these people are obviously wrestling with uh, like what does it mean to be a Christian in the modern world? Like what does it mean to like be a Christian in opposition sometimes to government structure? Mm. Like they're obviously thinking about that, even if they're like coming to different conclusions about it than we are. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just like I don't know. I just like can't help but think about like how we're gonna look back at this and like see two very Distinct, at least two very different distinct responses to how did the American Christian church respond to the government trying to um, quote unquote, save us from a pandemic. And I think we're going to see some really differing data. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It, it 10 years from now, 50 years from now, who knows what, community and church will look like and what we will learn from this moment you know what i mean it's just so
0: Mm
1: -hmm. it could really go in any direction it and we just don't know how how politics will be involved how science will be involved and you know will that Mm -hmm. like will the cdc reinforce what worship will look like because there are going to be guidelines as far as health codes Mm -hmm. and insurance like there's so many things to think about It'll be so weird. Oh, I didn't
0: even think about insurance. That's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. like, our church oh, insurance has
1: policies that we have to follow. Otherwise, we have fines to pay. We lose coverage, things like that. It's
0: Whoa. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Wowzers. Man, we should talk about community next time. I feel like that'll be a really interesting conversation.
2: Episode four. I agree. Community in COVID.
0: Community, like, what even is it? You know, right? Let's just define it <laughs> once and for all. Us 20 year old somethings, <laughs> you know, community is really just the word koinonia, and in the Greek, it means community. <laughs> nice, nice. Well,
1: thank you, Josh. My...
0: <laughs> You're welcome. My goodness, yes. Oh man, I think guys, that.
2: Kind of buttons up what will be a pretty typical episode for us. We start with one topic and we just kind of ask each other questions and pull on the thread, see where we go. We of ov- and it unraveled. Oh my gosh, we obviously ended up in a weird place there with with California oh. churches completely opening. <laughs> yeah, we did. And, mm, so, I mean, th- these are the potentials with every episode. I'm I'm really excited for it.
0: Honestly, I really liked starting with this topic because I feel like. Uh, in, I feel like this is a situation that for a lot of people has been the first like ever evolving situation yeah. where like, there's always something new. There's always something yeah. relevant. And like, I don't think this is a new thing. This isn't like a new concept for Christianity and religion. Yeah. Like it's always a conversation. Like there's always something new that's happening that we like have to think about through our religious and spiritual mm-hmm. lens. And like, I think that the pandemic is like, I hope is just like revealing that to people more.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and saying it like Emily did when she was talking about her church experience right now being a pastor, it's like scripture has a completely new tint to it. Like when you put the lens of COVID-19 on top of scripture, new things are coming alive and new things are popping out of it that you would not have gotten a context Mm -hmm. for in 2018, you know?
0: Yeah, that's <sighs> a good point.
2: it's very good. Okay, well, Man. to wrap up then, friends. Uh, first of all, thank you to Louis Zong for the use of his song "In Full Color" off of his album. Here, find his work on Spotify and Bandcamp, and go jam the heck out of it. It's such good music.
1: Go jam! It is so
0: honestly, it is. Yeah, there's an album like dedicated to French fries, and it's wonderful. <sighs> yeah,
2: he has a lot of good concept work. Yeah, it's good. Get into it.
0: Also, if you want to follow us anywhere, um, you can find it in the show notes, but you can find the show on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod. Uh, You can also follow us individually on Twitter especially. We're all there. Also, if you want to give us a rating, if you happen to love us or if you happen to hate us, feel free to review us um, on either Apple Podcasts or if you don't have Apple, you can review us on Facebook as well. That really helps us um, get found by other people who want to be part of the conversation and who are interested in theology in the modern world. So we'd, we'd love it if you'd share us too.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Think of one friend that you think might enjoy a conversation like this and just text them a link wherever you're listening to this. If you're listening on pocket Cast or Spotify or Apple, just let them know that the podcast exists and just tell them, Hey, these guys, uh, I think had a pretty interesting conversation and I think you'd get something out of it. Uh, that's, very often, how I find the podcasts I listen to is a personal recommendation, yeah, you know, me from too. a coworker saying, Wow, Reply All is fantastic. And I hadn't heard of Reply All for some reason. I was like, Wow, I agree. I like this show a lot. So it really works for podcasts. That's why we always ask for it. Sometimes I get self-conscious about asking for like ratings and reviews and recommendations and stuff, but it, it's really how podcasts grow. It's like podcasts to me are designed to be this long form type of conversation. I know there are shows formatted around a five minute, like blog post essentially or something, but this feels like it's getting back to the roots of what podcasting started as back in like 2008, 2009. And I'm just very excited to be a part of it, especially with you and Josh you being Emily, my goodness. Uh, I love it. I'm loving this project. (laughs) Emily to sign us off. Would you also,
0: I don't know if we mentioned this in, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say really quick. I don't know if we mentioned this in uh, episode one, but I am personally excited to see like how our personal faith and beliefs like kind of change and shift and like reinforce over time. And if you're listening to this too, I think that I'm, I'm really excited for you to experience that with us and like experience that in yourself too, because as, as much as we can see as uh, like the, the ever-changing world is like giving us new perspectives. Um, I think that we should expect that a show like this would show us the same thing. So I'm also excited for that. Um, But yeah, like you were saying, Stephen, um, Emily, will you give us a, a benediction to leave?
1: Absolutely. As we leave this time and this space together, remember what it means to love your neighbor. Remember what it means to ravel together as we tug on these threads and enter into deep and authentic and intentional dialogue. Um, And just know that we're doing this together, folks. We are in this, in the long run, raveling one thread at a time. We've got this and it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good.